Amen. Genesis 35 tonight. We finish up looking at Jacob tonight, and then we'll be in Genesis 37, beginning our study of the life of Joseph next week. In this chapter, there are three communions and three funerals. Three communions and three funerals. And at the very beginning of this chapter, you really see the God who, as we sang about tonight, his love never fails. His love is unconditional. His mercies are new every morning. With our God, there is always the ability to make a fresh start. And I want all of us to hear that tonight. We can make a fresh start at any moment in our lives with God. I know it's been several weeks, but just to remind all of us, what makes this chapter, especially the beginning of this chapter, so powerful is what it comes on the heels of. Remember, Jacob failed to go all the way to Bethel. He came short. And he settled in Shechem. And because of that, he opened up his family to a lot of pain. His daughter, Dinah, was raped while they were there. His sons, because he took such a passive approach to the whole deal, his sons then overreacted and murdered all the Shechemites. And so Jacob really failed. He really messed up. And yet we read in chapter 35, verse 1, that God came to him. And God said to Jacob, go up at once to Bethel and live there. Let's make a fresh start, Jacob. Come back to the house of God. Come back to the heart of worship, if you will. Come back to Bethel. And it's not until God appears to Jacob that he moves. We may have thought that after he went through such a horrific experience that as soon as that was over, he would have moved on to Bethel. But, you know, many times when you and I are not in a good place with God, we sort of get frozen. <laughs> we sort of start to spin, and we never really get anywhere. And that may have been where Jacob was at. It wasn't until God came and appeared to him and spoke into his life again that it motivated him to finally complete his pilgrimage, and get to Bethel. Notice God says to him, go up. Literally, arise and ascend. Now, obviously, God was talking about physical terrain. He was going to have to climb to get to Bethel. But there's that beautiful picture, too, of, of the fact that you know, figuratively, Jacob is 
in the valley, if you will. And God is saying, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get back up on top of things, if you will. And how do we do that? By getting back to the house of God, by getting back to worship, which is what Bethel symbolizes and signifies. Remember, Bethel means the house of God. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that that represents to me the house of God for us in the New Testament age. You and I cannot have a vibrant, growing relationship with God if we're not part of a house of God. That's the way God designed it. He designed us to be part of a body, a body that exists in local churches just like this. And so it's important that we always make sure that we maintain our connection to the house of God, to our Bethel. And then notice what God says. And live there, Jacob. Dwell there. Remain there. Jacob was so prone to wander. And we're going to see that he does it again. Even though God tells him, stay he has a really hard time getting into a rhythm and staying there. Maybe that's sometimes our challenge, is finding that rhythm with God and just staying there until God moves us to something else. That's what Jacob was finding out. But you can only imagine what Jacob was maybe feeling as here's God not giving up on him. Here's not God saying, well, Jacob, you, you blew it so bad back there, I'm done. No, no, God came back to Jacob and said, fresh start. Let's try again, Jacob, because that's who God is. God has always been that way, and he will always be that way with us. No matter our failures, no matter our failings, no matter our inconsistency, God will be constant. He will be who he's always been and always will be, and we can count on that. Then God tells him in verse 1, make an altar there a place of worship, a place to offer sacrifices. And he's the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. He's the God who revealed himself to you when you were running from your brother. He was always there for you. So then notice this very interesting thing that happens within Jacob. It's almost like Jacob gets re-energized. He, he, he gets this greater sense of responsibility. Remember, he was so passive back in chapter 34. His daughter gets raped, he doesn't say a word. He, he lets things go. He doesn't speak up when he should. He lets his sons take the leadership of the family rather than himself. And now all of a sudden, after his failure and after God reappears, it's almost like he gets this renewed sense of the responsibility that God has placed upon him 
as the patriarch of the family. Because notice what he does now after this communion, if you will, with God. And that's why I'm calling that first, that first communion with God there in, in verse 1. Is that Jacob now tells his whole household and all who were with him, it's time that we get rid of our foreign gods amongst us. It's time that we remove them. We've been playing games with God. We have not, as a family, been all in. We've been sort of partly in with God, but we've got all these other idols in our life. It's time that we get rid of them. And it's a great illustration for us because we may not have, like, literally idols, but in order for us to get more filled with God, we've got to empty ourselves of the things that's taking the place of God in our life. We, we can't fill up with God if we've got other stuff that's taking that space. And so think of it in that regard. That's what Jacob is doing here. He's saying, we've got to get rid of these other things so that we can have more of God in our life because God always wants us to have more of him. Notice, remove these gods. And then he says, purify yourselves and change your clothes. Basically, it's time to clean ourselves up. Now, in that culture, to freshen yourself up and to put on a new set of clothes was an illustration and symbolic of renewing our commitment to God. God has more for us, and we need to prepare ourselves and get ready for it. We need to renew our commitment. God has been faithful. God is here with us. In spite of all of our failures and failings, God has reappeared to us and said it's time to get back to Bethel. He is for us. He's giving us another opportunity. It's time that we seize that opportunity and that we renew our commitment to God. So Jacob says, verse 3, let us go up, let's ascend, let's climb, let's move up spiritually. Let's stop staying, you know, down here. Let's stop being satisfied with the crumbs of the world and let's go feast at the king's table at the house of God. And notice how he describes God here in verse 3. This is really important. He is reminding himself as well as his entire household who God is. He says, God is the one who responded to me in my time of distress. God was attentive to me and answered me. That's important for us to be reminded of. God is always attentive to his people. He never takes his eyes off of us, and he will always respond to us when we pray, when we cry out, when we call out to him. He's that kind of God. I love what Nicole prayed at the end of her prayer, how it's easier for us to say yes to God when we remind ourselves of what kind of God he is. That's exactly what Jacob's doing here. He's saying to his family, you realize what kind of God our God is, right? 
He's a God who's always been there for us. In fact, notice what he says then past that. He says, and he has been with me wherever I went. God has been my constant companion. I've never been without God. I may have walked away from God. I may have lived independently of God, not asking his advice, not consulting him, not being thankful and all that, but God's never disconnected from me. He was there when I needed him, and he's always been there. This is who our God is. It's time that we remove our idols. I mean, think about it. These are the patriarchs, and yet they were carrying around false gods. They were still dabbling in idol worship. They were still sort of half in, half out with God. And yet there's God. He gave a promise to Abraham, and he was faithful to that promise all through Abraham, all through Isaac, and now all through Jacob. He's showing himself faithful, faithful. So verse 4, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that were in their possession and the rings that were in their ears. Now, ladies especially, not that guys don't wear earrings either, but he isn't denouncing wearing of jewelry here. In that culture, just like today, there is jewelry that has an attachment of idolatry, of the occult, of the demonic influence to it. And that's what is being done here. It's that there were certain things that they were wearing that was symbolic of these false gods and these false idols. And notice what Jacob does to them. He buries them. He leaves them behind under the oak near Shechem. It's again a, a, a beautiful picture of if you and I want more of God, then there's some things that you and I have got to leave behind in our life. There's some things that we've got to remove so that we can make more room for God. That's exactly what's happening here. We, we can't keep sort of wrapping our arms around the things of the world and then expecting to have enough room for what God wants to give us. No, we've got to get rid of certain things so that we've got more room for God and for the things of God and for the responsibilities that God wants to place into our lives. If we've got too much of other stuff, then we don't have the time, the energy, the inclination or anything to be able to take on what God has for us, which, by the way, as Jesus said, my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light for you to carry. It will not overwhelm you. It is a uniquely well-fitted responsibility for you. It's not something that's going to wear on you and weigh you down. And so sometimes it's like, you know what? Bury it. Get rid of it so that we can move on, so that we can ascend, so that we can climb. So they started on their journey, verse 5, and the surrounding cities were afraid of God, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Now this verse ties back into the events of chapter 34. And basically what it is reminding us of, again, is that God is faithful to his promise. He promised Jacob, I will protect you. 
Why does Jacob and his family need protection? Well, remember, his sons murdered all those people back in that town. And so what's God doing? God's, in a sense, putting a fear within the Shechemite so that those that remained that weren't killed by Jacob's sons wouldn't pursue them and kill them. That's who our God is, too. He will surround us from those that seek to do us harm. Again, the, the only way anything gets to us and touches us is if God allows it to get through his sovereign protection. God is always surrounding his people. He's always protecting us. That's who he is. So if something is allowed by God to come into our life, there's some great purpose that God has for allowing it to come in and to touch us. Otherwise, he'll keep it out. He'll put the fear of God, if you will, into our enemy. And that even not only speaks of natural, earthly enemies, that speaks of spiritual, demonic forces as well. They cannot touch us or get near us unless God removes it for some greater purpose. And that's exactly what God was doing here. He was protecting Jacob because of his promise to Abraham. So Jacob, verse 6, and all those who were with him arrived at Luz, that is Bethel, the house of God in the land of Canaan. He built an altar there and named a place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. This is the second communion, if you will, in the chapter. The first is when God appears to him and speaks to him in verse 1. This is the second, where now Jacob comes to Bethel and he sets up this altar and he begins to worship God. And notice very significantly the name that he gives this place. It is the God of the house of God, El Bethel. Why is that significant? Because Jacob is reminding us of something very important that you and I know is true today. This is a house of God. But this physical structure is nothing if God's not here. The only way this becomes a sacred space, a special place, is because God himself is here with us. And that's what Jacob was recognizing. It's the whole reason why it's like heaven is not really any place special unless God's there. God's person is what makes everything sacred and special. Him being there is what makes it special. And then when you think about that, you think about the fact that we are the temple of God. And that God's Holy Spirit dwells in us. That makes us then pretty special, you see. The house of God, but not just the house of God, the God of the house of God. Now, after these two communions comes the first funeral, Deborah a dear part of the family. Remember, she was Rebecca's sort of nursemaid and, and servant. She had been with this family for many, many years and had endeared herself to this family. And you get the impression that Rebecca now has already died. 
and that she's no longer around. And now her servant, her right hand, Deborah, passes away. And notice they bury her under this oak below Bethel, and they named it the Oak of Weeping because it implied the great grief that this family had at her death. We don't know a lot about Deborah, but evidently her service to this family was greatly appreciated, and she made a great impact upon this family because when she died, there was great grief for Deborah. But then notice verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again after he returned from Padan Aram and blessed him. God knows just when to show up in our lives, doesn't he? How tender and timely is the care and comfort of God. Because I'm going to get a little ahead of myself, but I want you to note this. God comes to Jacob and appears to him actually for the last time that's recorded in Scripture between two deaths, the death of Deborah and right before the death of his dear wife, Rachel. God knows what's happening. And God comes to Jacob because he knows Jacob needs some extra attention, some extra comfort, some extra assurance. And God knows when we need it. And he knows the perfect timing of when we need it. That's who our God is. And so in this final appearance to Jacob, he comes and he blesses him. And notice God says to him, your name is Jacob, but your name will no longer be called Jacob. Israel will be your name. So God named him Israel. Now here's what's significant about this. Uh, this isn't the first time that God appeared to Jacob and told him this. So God's really repeating something that he told Jacob several chapters ago, right? So then what's the significance of this? Jacob has forgotten who he is. And God is reminding him, Jacob, you've got to remember who you are. You're not Jacob. You're Israel. I have greater things for you. This is who I've created you to be. Stop living down here and ascend and climb and keep going with me. Remember who you are. We all need that at times in our life. We forget who we are, our identity in Jesus Christ. We forget that we are accepted in the beloved, that, that we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, that we've been given everything we need for, for godliness. I mean, we forget many times who we are. And God has to come back and say, don't forget who you are who you are to me, who you are in me, who you are through me. And that's exactly what he was doing to Jacob. Because he knew that Jacob needed to be reminded of that, that Jacob needed strengthened for what was ahead. 
especially because Jacob did not know what God knew. And that was in a few days his dear wife Rachel was going to be gone. And if he ever needed to be strong and carry this family through, he needed it now. After the death of Deborah, someone dear to him, and before the death of his wife, Rachel. But God doesn't stop there. Then God said to him, verse 11, I am the sovereign God, El Shaddai, the Almighty One. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, even a company of nations, will descend from you. Kings will be among your descendants. Not only does God come to Jacob and tell him, you need to remember who you are, God comes to Jacob and basically says, you need to remember who I am. I am El Shaddai. I am Almighty God. I can make this happen. You've just got to trust me. There's nothing that I can't do through you if you trust me and follow me. You can be this great nation. Kings will descend from you. You've got to believe that. And the only way that you and I believe that in our lives is when we consistently remember who we are and who God is. In fact, I would encourage all of us, it wouldn't hurt us every day that we live to sort of check those two things. God, I need to remember today as I start my day who I am. And I also need to start my day by remembering who you are. It's a good way to face every day because we never know what's going to happen in any day. And God tells him, you can bear fruit. You can grow and increase and multiply. But you've got to remember who you are and remember who I am. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. To your descendants, I will also give this land. God isn't telling him anything new. God is simply repeating what he's already told him many, many times. And again, God never gets tired of repeating himself because he knows we need it. Many times we need to hear the same things from God until it sort of solidifies into our soul and spirit. Then God went up from the place where he spoke with him. And this was the last time that we know of that God ever appeared to Jacob in this way. So Jacob set up a sacred stone pillar in the place where God spoke with him. And notice he pours out a drink offering on it, and there he poured oil on it. This is symbolic of dedication. The drink offering was symbolic of a worshiper's life being poured out for the Lord. The drink offering was supplemental to other offerings. It was a way of saying, God, I'm pouring myself out for you. Again, a renewed commitment that Jacob and his family are going through. Why do they need that? Because God has greater things for them, and they've been messing around with worldly things, and they need to get rid of the worldly things so that they have enough room in their lives for what God has for them and who God wants them to be. So Jacob named the place, verse 15, where God spoke with him, Bethel. But then, verse 16, we've been to Bethel in the first 15 verses, and now we go beyond Bethel. We don't know why Jacob left Bethel, especially after God told him in verse 1, 
remain there, dwell there? Is it because Jacob just couldn't stay in one place? I don't know. We don't know. But they traveled on from Bethel and went to Ephrath, which was still some distance away, when Rachel went into labor and her labor was hard. When her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, don't be afraid for you're having another son. And with her dying breath, she named him Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow or son of trouble. But his father, Jacob, did not want him to carry that name for the rest of his life and sort of to be identified with her, his mother's death. So he calls him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. We know that the Benjamites, that's who Saul came from, the first king of Israel. Paul came from the family of Benjamin as well, the great Paul. So Benjamin was significant in the course of God's plan. So Rachel died, verse 19, and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And if it wouldn't have been for the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem, the most significant thing that Bethlehem would have ever been known for was the death of Rachel. Up until the birth of Christ, that in Israel's mind, in, in Jewish mind. If you read Jewish historians and history, the most significant thing that happened in that little town of Bethlehem up to the point of Jesus was the death of Rachel. And we know how much Jacob loved Rachel. So Jacob set up a marker over her grave, and it is the marker of Rachel's grave to this day. Communions with God, death, birth. I mean, you see it all. You see this is what life is. There's death and there's birth. There's new life and there's the passing of life. That's the way life is. And Jacob is navigating this, but he's always navigating this now with God. Which is why then he traveled on and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eater. And you have a few other things here about Jacob, but mainly I want to point out in verses 23 through 26 that we have here, in a, in a sense, all of Jacob's sons, the 12 tribes. And it is a reminder that, just like with us, God always has a plan for our lives that is always part of something greater. We are simply one link in the chain that keeps moving on, and that was Jacob. In fact, at the end of this chapter, you had the death of Deborah, then you had the death of Rachel, and now you have the death of Jacob's father, Isaac, who lived, verse 28, to be 180 years old, far older than any of the others at this time. He breathed his last and joined his ancestors, and finally, Esau and Jacob are reunited once again at the deathbed and funeral of their father, Isaac. And through all this, 
we are reminded that God's faithful and that God's promise is secure. Despite Jacob's inconsistent faith and family unrest and all of that, the Lord's promises are secure. And everything that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob came true, just as God said. One other thing, and then I'll wrap this up tonight. I, I couldn't help but think. Jacob reminds me a little bit of Prince Charles. Let me tell you why. Prince Charles has waited all his life, right, to, to be on the throne, and obviously his mother is still living, and, and he's now in his 70s, and you, you wonder, is he really ever going to be the focus of that family? Well, Jacob is the same. Jacob has now waited all his life. His father finally passes, and you're thinking, okay, Jacob, now finally the, the spotlight, if you will, is going to be on Jacob. No, that's not God's plan. Because now in the rest of the book of Genesis, where's the spotlight go? Not to Jacob, but to who? To Joseph. Joseph becomes now the central figure in the plan of God and not Jacob. God had great things for Jacob, but Jacob was just a part of something much greater. And what God was teaching Jacob was, Jacob, you've got to trust me. You've got to stay connected to me at the house of God and keep worshiping me and keep increasing and keep growing. You've got to remember who you are and remember who I am because that's the only thing that's going to help you navigate through life, through births and through deaths and through challenges and through opposition and through all these distractions and things that's going to come and go. And the same thing is true for us today. These same principles are true to stay close to the house of God, to, to commit ourselves to the worship of God, to be enthusiastic, devoted worshipers of God, to let go of certain things of this world so that God can fill us up with all that he has for us, and to remember each and every day who we are and who our God is. These are the things that we can take away from the story of Jacob. I'm so excited, though, next week to start an 11-week study of the life of Joseph, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite Bible characters. So I hope you'll join us beginning next week. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you tonight that, Lord, as you related to these people thousands of years ago, God, you were showing them as well as us today who you are, what kind of God you are. And Lord, when we learn what kind of God you are, it, it should motivate us and inspire us, God, to want to trust you more and to follow you more closely. That you are a God who is going to be faithful, and yet you're a God who's loves us unconditionally. It's not based on our performance. 
and you will always forgive and be merciful and be the God of a fresh start and second chance. You're the God who will always be our constant companion. You're the God who will always be attentive and responsive to us at all times in our life. You are the sovereign God, El Shaddai, the Almighty. There's nothing too hard or too difficult for you. If you've told us something, if you've revealed something, if you've promised us something, then God, you can bring it about. May we not limit, Lord, what you want to do in and through our lives because we're looking at us or we're looking at other things around us, God, but that we keep our focus upon you. And the only way, Lord, that we can do that is through daily worship, through coming to you, God, and exalting you, elevating you, putting you in your rightful place, reminding ourselves of who you are through our worship of you and through engaging with you, God, in that worship so that we even discover more of the wonder and awe of our God. Lord, would you continue to grow us as we press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. As we go through life, navigating the challenges and the obstacles and the opposition and the births and the deaths and all that will happen to us in life, God, may we stay close to you as you stay close to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. God bless. We'll see you next week.